Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Show. 
That was awesome. What made it great was during the music, in the beat, they were firing the howitzers at the exact same time. So you know the 1812 overture where you get the big bass drum. Imagine these gigantic cannons being fired off all at the same time. The whole parade ground's covered in smoke. Kids are crying. People are covered in smoke. It was amazing. My favorite time. I felt so proud to be an American. I had this swelling of patriotism that I had never felt. Of course, it was before I was a believer, so I interpreted it as we're the best. We're awesome. Today, patriotism, a sense of patriotism and gratitude in this country, though, has significantly eroded. We see it just on TV or the people around us. It's to such a degree that the very foundational principles that made this country great are under attack and blame some. Now, I think there's several reasons for this, and I will not elaborate on all of them. But the Lord has certainly warned, and the Lord has certainly warned us that we will face hostility and tribulation no matter where we were living, no matter where we grew up. As believers, we can expect hostility and tribulation. However, I believe that there are two compelling reasons for that account for our current condition as a nation and as a church. Big church, not just GBC, the whole church. First, the church is struggling to be a reflection of Jesus Christ and his kingdom's values in the world. In other words, we place our status as citizens here in the United States as equal to or exceeding our status as citizens of the kingdom of God. We look at what's our responsibilities and rights as Christians, what's our responsibility, and we place them on equal level. Worse, we say that our Americanism is first. And if whatever we read in the scripture comports to what we understand about being a citizen, we embrace it. If it doesn't, we reject it. We all too allow, often allow talking heads, giving talking points to dictate our view of God, others, and ourselves. Many times I've had conversations with somebody where I've watched the news in the morning, had a conversation with somebody, and all of the points I heard that morning were the points that were given to me in the conversation. It's easy. I tend to do it myself as well. But we don't need talking points. We don't judge our lives off talking points. We have the only talking one, that is God. Our entire lives, everything we understand, from our politics to our families to our relationships to who we are as human beings and as children of God, need to be dictated by what we read in Scripture. When we look to others and other people, this threatens to change our perceptions of God and influences the way that we live in this world. That's one reason. The other reason, I believe, is that in demanding our rights as citizens of this nation and upholding the principles that we believe will preserve these rights, we run the danger of focusing on ourselves to the extent that we discount and even harm others. We're focused on what we need instead of what others need. And when we read the scripture and we see what God has to say about it everywhere, it's replete with the admonition that must consider others before ourselves. That we are to love others unconditionally, focusing on what they need as well as what we do. We demand what is ours and sometimes neglect the needs of others. We become holy takers in society instead of givers like God has called us to be. This truth is a foundation of our constitutional republic. Our constitution only preserves our freedoms and protects the nation 
if we keep the fire of religious fervency in our, in our hearts hot, and we strive to live with our eyes always on God, who blessed us with this freedom and this nation. I just happened to be doing, when I was doing research, I came across a quote by John Adams. It's written in 18th century English, so I'll try to paraphrase in a few spots, but it's very important. Listen carefully. Founding father of our nation. While our country remains untainted with the principles and manners which are now producing desolation in so many parts of the world, what I think he's talking about is the French Revolution. He's saying, while what's happening and the horrors of the French Revolution are occurring, while that's happening over there, we have not yet been touched by that. While she continues sincere and incapable of insidious and impious policy, we shall have the strongest reason to rejoice in the local destination assigned us by providence. Read that God. But should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation, that meant faking, that deep faking towards one another and, for, and toward foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, in other words, hypocrisy, and displays in the most captivating manner the charming pictures of candor, frankness, and sincerity, while it is rioting and rapid in insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in all the world. Because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. What he's saying is, is our Constitution is not sufficient to keep people in line. And our Constitution was written for a people who were already being guided by moral principles as set forth by God in the Scripture. Avarice, ambition, revenge, and gallantry would break the strongest forms of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Now today, people would have to say exactly not religious people anymore. Let's get rid of the Constitution. It's my contention, and I believe for many of us in here's contention is that no, the point is the other way. We need to become a moral and religious people again. We need to look to God again as our guiding principle instead of human documents as powerful and important as they are on earth. The rights we enjoy as citizens must be exercised in light of our responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom of God. If we do not understand these responsibilities and take them seriously, we will continue to see decline in this country, the one we love. And we will fail to fulfill our God-given and Christ-given calling to be the salt of the earth. So today we're going to be looking at various scriptures. Long intro, I'm sorry I read it all. I wanted to say it exactly the way I wanted to say it. Okay, so I read it to you. Today we're going to go through various scriptures. Now, in the Constitution, we have the Bill of Rights' first ten amendments. They delineate to us what are our most essential and foundationally held rights here in the United States. I'd like to give you the Christian's Bill of Responsibilities. When we look to our rights and we demand our rights without embracing the fact that we have responsibilities as believers and as Christians and as citizens of this world, we become takers and not givers. Our understanding of what it means to be free gets skewed. And we begin to live for ourselves and not for the Lord. So we're going to go through ten briefly, okay? Briefly. So you got to keep up because it's got to be fast, okay? 
Alright, our first responsibility is that we must love others unconditionally. Romans 5 8 says, For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means we had nothing to offer. That means that we were certainly going to fail again, that we were certainly going to sin, and that we were not going to be perfect. Yet in the face of that knowledge, Christ decided and willingly chose to die on our behalf. This is the love that Christ shows us. This is the kind of love we are called, commanded, to show others. That means loving others to the, to the, to the exclusion of what I will get in return. I find often one of my love languages is words of affirmation. But it's an interesting thing. When I stop and I consider why do I say some of the kind things I say to others when I get really honest, it's because I want them to love me back. That's conditional love. This is the type of love that God warns us against. And we need to be cautious in examining our hearts and asking ourselves, how am I truly loving others? Am I completely severed from any return? Am I trusting that I'm doing what is right and that God will give me back that which I think I believe? Jesus warned us and told us, love our enemies. The Old Testament said, smite your enemies. Jesus says, I tell you differently. He restated the principle of God's word. We extend grace the way that grace has been extended to us. Considering we were all destined for an eternal life in hell, the way we extend grace to others should far exceed what I would argue that most of us show in our day to day. Most of us show in our day to day. Two, our second responsibility is we serve others sacrificially. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our freedom, whether our heavenly freedom, our salvation, or our earthly here in America is not free. It was bought and purchased with a price. Christ died that we might live forever with him in heaven. And our countrymen and countrywomen died to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy. We should honor, we must honor, in fact we're commanded to honor those sacrifices with our very lives. That means we are not our own. That means we have a responsibility to consider what would Christ have me do in this situation? And if it rubs up against something that we want, we relegate that. And we move on, trusting the Lord to give out of His abundance that which we believe we need. We go above and beyond. We give out of our abundance. We give behind the same. I read a statistic once, I don't know if this is true, so don't cite me on Facebook on this. But I've heard that if everyone who proclaimed to be a Christian in the United States alone tithed at the 10% level, I'm not asking you to do this, I'm saying this is the statistic, we would have enough food to feed everybody in the world and have $70 billion left over each year. That is the level of affluence that we enjoy in this country. The poorest of the poor here are light years beyond many of the rest of the people around the world. And we have a responsibility as believers to serve them sacrificially. Sacrificially. We have a lot that God has blessed us with. 
God has required much of us as well. Three, we stand for truth amid confusion. We have a responsibility to stand for truth amid confusion. Relative truth is rampant. We've all heard it. Well, that's my truth. That might not be your truth. Or that's what your truth is. That's not what my truth is. Well, we have the truth. It's no wonder that the whole culture and world is confused about who they are and what they should do and how they should be and how they should live. Everyone's deciding for themselves. And we see in our Judges series in Gideon that that is exactly what caused much of the situation that we see today in our own world. Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes because there's no set of guiding principles. That everything is relative. That what might have been true before is not certainly true now, but we must stand against that. Psalm 119.160 says this, The sum of your word is truth, that every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God's word is truth and will always be true. Do we live like that? We must. We must not relegate God's word to simply another voice in competing voices, but the voice against which every other voice must be judged. I read a book about how to overcome some judgment against God's word. What does God say about it? What does God say about it? We also have a responsibility to speak the truth of God. We must speak. Psalm 119, 172. My tongue will sin of your word, for all of your commandments are right. The psalmist is saying that because I have God's truth, because I know God's truth, and the truth is true, I will sin it, proclaim it to all who will hear. The church has the truth in God's word. We must speak it, live all of it, even the parts that do not align with what we would otherwise want. And this must be done in light of the other responsibilities. In other words, we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth with an understanding that we need to love others unconditionally, that we serve sacrificially, and so on and so forth. There's a tension here. All right, number four. Everyone with me? I'm going fast. Yeah. All right. Number four, consider the needs of others before your own. Consider we have a responsibility to think of others before we think of ourselves. Listen to what Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, listen to this, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So often we think of, well, how does this affect me? I've heard people come in sometimes in various times in my life and say, this bad thing happened to me, and instead of saying, oh my goodness, that's so terrible, my first thought is, how does this affect me? Yet God is calling us to think of others first. We insist on our rights before we consider the needs of others. We are often not governed by what is best for that person. We think only of what is best for us. What's interesting about this passage is, it says that when we do this, we have the mind Christ. We often pray, Lord, show me my situation through your eyes. Let me see life as it really is, reality. We ask for Jesus for his mind, for the mind of Christ. And he says, this is it. Humble yourself and look to the needs of others first. Think about that. Lord, I'm in this situation. I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know which road to take. Show me what to do. Show me your truth. And he answers, think of others before you think of yourself. 
Wow. Wow. What if everybody in the world lived concerned first about the needs of the people around them? What if we lived as a church concerned first about the needs of each other? When we came to this family, we knew when I was broken and I'm hurt and I'm needy that I have 200 people who are going to love me and look to my needs. And then, also, on the way through the church doors say, there are 199 people who need me. And live like that. And say, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? Is there something you need? How can I look to your needs before I look to my own? Responsibility five. Strike for peace wherever and whenever possible. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Paul says in Romans 12, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We often hear the term hawks and doves. Hawks are people who are ready to go to war and fight. Doves are often those who are seeking peace and wanting to disengage from violence. When I read scripture, I see both. There's a time for war. And there's a time for peace. Believe it or not, it's not a bird song. It's actually from Ecclesiastic. I missed my cap you guys. There was a band called The Birds. Okay. There was a line that said there's a time for war and a time for peace. And that is from the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the last time you heard pop music sing a scripture verse, right? 69 or something. However, even though we see both portrayed in the scripture, and I believe that both are essential here on earth, as we deal with sinful people, sinful nations, sinful ideas, there needs to be attention. We must always strike for peace and strive for peace before we go to war. This is certainly true as a nation. We should not seek to get involved where we should not be involved. In fact, we should be people who are striking for the peace of warring nations. But it's more than just the way we live as a country, socially. It's also in our own lives, in our own relationships. When someone disagrees with us, when we're having a misunderstanding with someone, or even when someone is outrightly angry with us, how do we respond? Do we suit up and go to war? Or do we strike for peace? Jesus said that blessed are the peacemakers. This is not the same as peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are people who do whatever it takes to assuage the angry parties and to not have any kind of interaction with like violence or anything. Peacemakers are different. Peacemakers go through the hard work of finding peace. Peacemakers make difficult decisions. Peacemakers are not afraid to make somebody upset in order to find peace in the end. Responsibility says, we have a responsibility as believers living in this nation to be first and foremost ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Ambassadors for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ and God making his appeal to us. Listen to this. We are ambassadors of a kingdom not here, a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that one day will be on earth. And we are something of an advanced party, that God is making his appeal to people. 
through us. When you're going about your day-to-day, you consider that truth that God is trying to say something. And he's trying to say something through you. He's appealing to those who've never heard the word, who might never hear the word, to hear his truth from your lips. And we don't have a choice in this. Brothers and sisters, this is a command. God has purchased us through the blood of his Son, and as a result, we have a responsibility, a responsibility to be ambassadors. Everything we do communicates to others something about who we are, who Christ is, and what the kingdom of God is like. Do our thoughts, priorities, and values align with kingdom principles? When someone sees us make a decision on a purchase, do we see a purchase choice that's reflected in what God's will for our life would be? When they see us make a decision about sums or some relational situation, are we living according to kingdom principles? We communicate kingdom principles with our words. In fact, we're commanded to. 1 Peter 3.15-16 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect and in conscience. If we're living our lives as Christ has called us to live, it says that people will ask. It says when people ask. People will ask. And we have a responsibility as children and citizens, children of God and citizens of heaven to give an answer, to make a defense, to explain why it is we believe what we believe and why it is we hope in what we hope for. You do not have the right to not speak up for Christ. It's a responsibility. We must not be silent when God is calling us to speak. Alright. Responsibility seven. Seek justice for the poor and oppressed. Seek justice for the poor and oppressed. Now I want to say something that goes beyond the unborn. That goes to those who have had their children and now struggling financially. That goes to those people who live elsewhere, even in other nations, who are being unjustly treated, who are being oppressed by those in power. If you don't believe this is true, read the book of Amos. The entire book of Amos is about the oppression that the leaders in the, the, the Jewish nation turned a blind eye to and often participated in. We say, oh, often I think that people hear in their mind the word social justice when we talk about biblical oppression and the poor. Look at what God's word says. This cannot be relegated to nonprofits in the inner city. This is not a decision that needs to be made or a, a, a goal that needs to be addressed by those over there. Here, Elmhurst, Western Suburbs, we have a responsibility to seek out oppression and destroy it, to bring justice to those who are being treated inequitably. It's our role, it's our responsibility, it's salt and light here in this nation. We have turned it over to a group of people that do not believe what God has taught us. And then we got the results that we have. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Isaiah 117. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Those who are vulnerable and needy must be 
taken care of by us. Jeremiah 22 3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood. We cannot limit our concern to those who we would say are otherwise innocent. What about those who are not? God doesn't make a distinction. What about those who don't deserve our help, but are still being oppressed? Do we seek justice for them? Yes. Yes. What about those who are in prison, maybe because of bad choices? Do we help them? Yes. What about those who are trapped in addiction because of the pharmaceutical industry? Do we reach out and seek to help them? Yes. Yes. Responsibility eight. Mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 17 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. There's a practice that's ancient in Judaism called sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva is a time period, usually 10 days, where when someone dies, the family and friends come around, come around and they sit with the family, the grieving family. A few words are Shiva. Often it's one line of accolade from the person he was a good man. That's it. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we carry each other's burdens, we are quintessentially fulfilling what it is that God has called us to be in Jesus. When we sit Shiva with those around us as they struggle and fight and are mourning losses in their own lives, no matter what that might look like. We are bringing to them the very presence of Christ. The new cycle has hardened many of us to the catastrophes of this nation. Every 24 hours, it's a new breaking news, something. It has made everything come to bear every single moment. We can't turn the news on and hear anything good anymore. Because it's about ratings and keeping you engaged, keeping you watching. And we've grown hardened as a result of it. Every time an innocent person is killed, we should grieve. Grieve. Whether that person was killed by guns or abortion. We should be sitting Shiva for this nation. We are ambassadors and representatives of the kingdom. And what grieves God's heart should be ours. That we often turn a blind eye and blame them for the reason that it happened. When a needy person is suffering, either financially, physically, mentally, or in any other way, we must grieve with them. Our presence with them mirrors God's abiding presence with us. So we have the responsibility. Number nine. Responsibility nine. I'm hoping to get every single one of you something to think about. You know, I write my messages, I have people in my mind. I have things I want to say. I see the direction of the congregation. I ask God to show me what it is that we need. And I believe that in today's message, even though it's ten points and I'm going through it quickly, there's something here for each of us. It's casting a vision. I'm hoping to cast a vision of how we should be, how our lives should be different as a church and as individuals and as a, as a nation. Nine. Pray for those who govern. 
the responsibility to pray for those who govern. First Timothy 2, 1-3. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Listen to what he says. For kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This relates back to unconditional love. I think that there are times we withhold our prayers for those who govern because they govern unrighteously. But that is not what Paul says in these verses. When Paul wrote this, who knows who is in power? Anyone know who is in power? Nero. Now, anybody who knows about Nero is that he was no fan of Christians. He would hit them in tar, set them on fire, the whole city of Rome fell while he played the violin and he blamed it all on the church. Okay? Nero was the worst of the worst, yet in the face of that truth, Paul says, pray for those who are in power. That it is good for us to pray for them that we might live a peaceful life. I think there are times, because I've heard it, and I'm tempted to do it, that we weaponize our prayers. We pray to the Lord about a leader who is leading unjustly. And in our prayer, betray a desire to bring imprecation upon them. In other words, we desire in our prayer to curse them. Yet this is not what God says. God calls us to pray that their hearts would be changed, that the Lord would give them grace, that the Lord would bless them, and so that they would turn. The tone of our prayer can be affected by what we think of these leaders. We should be praying at the same time, Lord, help me see these men and women through your eyes. Through your eyes, and not my desire for resolution. Alright. The way we do this relates to our trust in God. In our trust in God. When we refuse to pray for those who are in power because we think that they're leading them justly, it shows that we're putting trust in government. It shows that we're putting trust in mankind instead of trust in the King of Kings. The one who has actually put that person there. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Again, Nero, for there's no authority except from God. Nero's authority was from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This is held in tension with other teaching. The obvious they don't want for them to do whatever they want. We stand for truth amid confusion. But at the same time, we respect the authorities we have, we pray for those authorities, and we desire what is best for them, namely their salvation. Their salvation. Finally, number 10. Now I feel like I'm telling But it was getting hot. Responsibility 10. Be kind to all. Be kind. The world, world is full of haters. Don't add to it. Don't add to it. There are so many times I am on some social media platform that I want to say something. I want to say something. 
and I, part of me just wants to fling the phone across the room because I know if I don't, I'm going to put something stupid and I'm going to make not Christ look bad. It's really what it boils down to. And it will never, ever fix it. It will never fix it. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another. Kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. As Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. I saw a clip the other day of a pastor, a well-known pastor, who was talking about church hurt. Okay, church hurt, the idea that when people come to a church, they get injured emotionally, and so they are spiritually, and so they leave, and then they never come back to their church, or when they come to their next church, they're carrying traumas from their first church, and it's affecting their ability to engage. And this pastor, and I respect this pastor, I agree with what he says. He says, I acknowledge church hurt. He said, but how dare you? How dare you make coming to church be about you? You complain that others treat you poorly, give you the stink eye, they don't want to take you, whatever they do. You do that. He tells his church, he says, the very thing you rail against, you're guilty of. You come for the Lord. We come for the Lord. It is one of my biggest fears that if I were to leave one day, if I were to leave one day, that attendance would drop. I'm afraid that if I left one day, attendance would drop too. But <laughs> the point is, is that we make a lot of people and not enough of the Lord. We make a lot of about the building about our programs, and not enough about the Lord. Everything needs to be about the Lord. We need to be forgiving towards one another the way the Lord has forgiven us. Be kind, tender-hearted. Luke 6, Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. In other words, be kind to somebody, and if they don't pay you back, that's okay. Your reward is going to be great. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I think it's important to be said that being kind is not the same as being nice. Being kind is not the same as being nice. I heard a woman say, this is the difference between nice and kind. She said, I grew up in Boston. I moved to California. One day I got a flat tire on the street in California, and every single person who walked by said, oh man, that stinks. I'm really sorry that you got a flat tire. That's terrible. I'm, I'm positive vibes for you and your flat tire. <laughs> she said, where I grew up in Boston, someone would come up, I had to change exactly what she said, but someone would come up and say, you don't know how to change a tire? I can't believe no one how to, get out of the way. Let me show you, come here, grab that thing, bring it over here, I'm going to show you how to change a tire. One is nice and one is kind. We are called to be kind. That means speaking the truth, seeking to do what is best for the other, and not just giving somebody empty, shallow accolades or feelings of positive vibes. We do good. We show kindness. Kindness is showing God's goodness to another apart from how it will make them feel. How it will make them feel. Sometimes kindness can be painful, and if we're living according to God's will in the way we love, frankly, it's likely to be misinterpreted. Seek what is best for others. So when you're celebrating your independence and spending time with family and friends, remember that it's 
not just that our nation is greater, that our people are greater, that our ideals are greater, that our constitution is great, but that our Father in heaven is great. Our Father has blessed us with this nation. And we have certain responsibilities to live in a way that demonstrates our gratitude for everything that God has given us through Christ. We should live as children of God in the world, living like our Father would have us and how Christ taught us to live. So let us look to Christ for the grace we need so desperately to live according to these important truths. Because if you take this away that I just need to be better, I just need to do better, it's just going to be more behavioral change. This can only be done in the power of God. This can only be done through the grace of Christ. And as we focus on Him in prayer and His Word, we're able to do this. Let us look to Christ as we enjoy our freedoms as Americans while upholding our responsibilities as citizens of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we, we just we admit, Lord, that there are times that we want what we want, but we don't think about the needs of others. We agree, Lord, and confess to you that there are times we prioritize that which should not be prioritized, whatever that might be. Lord, we want to be good citizens of this nation. We want to be patriotic. We want to be people who love this country because it's what you have blessed us with. Lord, as we think of our place in society, as we think of our place in this church and in our families and circles, Lord, we pray that you would give us a deep desire to live responsibly, to go above and beyond, to trust you when it seems like we need the ones, we need to be the ones to take the reins. Being kind to everyone. Lord, we want to be different. We want to look like you. And so do that, Lord. Alright, so I'm going to move into communion now. Does everyone have communion cups? If you don't have a communion cup, raise your hand. We'll make sure that we get you one. over here. Well, Pastor Adam is going to lead us. Just a reminder from Pastor Adam about our field of responsibility as Christians. While it's kind of a buffet of sermons, he gave in one little setting. Sermonettes, but it's still an important reminder of how we're called to give back to the church, not just take. While that may be an unnatural emotion as Americans, but the self-focused mentality now what Christ called us to, and this time of communion is, a, is exactly a reminder of that. We gather each month, take with our time for our communion, where we symbolically partake in this ordinance of the church, this time of the Lord's table, or time for us to remember what Christ did for us where he took our punishments and died giving himself for that. With the juice being, with the bread showing that his body being broken for us, and of course the juice being the blood spilled in the, in the forgiveness of sin. This is a time of love. This is what we're remembering in this for, this time of communion for Jesus. We have a lot of things that we are thankful for as a church, as an individual, as a country. One of them needs to be the fact that we are by a Lord who loves us. So as we have our portion of people come to place awfully, we encourage you to take part in this communion and these elements. And I would encourage you personally to take time to talk to God as you partake in the cracker and the juice of confessing of skin sin, praising God for what he's done this, time, this past week and we'll be doing with him. So as a reminder, don't forget that we have to peel back the little cell thing. 
will for the Jews. I love you, great mercy. Father God in heaven, we give you thanks for everything that you have done for us. How we are called to the examples of you in our lives, in our communities, every single day. Father, continue to grow us into being more like that. Let's like our old self. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this time when we can remember what you did for us. And praise you for the fact that you are not dead, you are still alive. Father, thank you for this time that we can do this together. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.